0: and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at Amazon.com slash Instant Eraser Foundation. Welcome to news podcast number 734. Hey, Matt, Matt, Myra, what are you doing here on an intro? Oh, I got nothing to do right now, Chris, so I figured I'd stop by the podcast, <laughs> see if you guys are recording. Turns He's out, actually been living here. I thought <laughs> you were recording.
2: <laughs> and then it's weird, he leaves when you come in to record and says, tell him I was never here. <laughs> Through, so, the, through the vent.
0: That's so crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, um, thanks for letting us come into your living room. You're welcome. Uh, just I'd like you to get rid of these tiny bottles of water every time I come in here and they're just sitting there.
1: I know, time. man, but they just, you know, my experience is that they
2: just disappear on their own. I
0: try to keep a place clean and you assholes come in here and ruin it. I
2: assumed you'd sell them for the redemption value. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad idea. <laughs> I forget I said anything about bottles. <laughs> Do you guys have anything in the Nerdist
1: Community corkboard? Matt Myers, is there anything you want to promote that, that you got coming up? Nope. Okay. You got other podcasts and
2: stuff. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and they're secret. <laughs> I got one from from uh, the from inside the Nerdist family. Adam Murray has an Indiegogo campaign going right now for a short he's working on called Joe and the Pirates. Mm-hmm. That is uh, this kind of Amblin thing. I read the script; it's real good. And Jonah Ray's going to be in it. Yeah. Well, who's that? Huh? Who's oh, there? he's a, a he's a, a comedian from Los Angeles. Oh, Wait, no, I'm not familiar, familiar with the city the really ring a bell. I mean, we have, there's a lot of comics in Los Angeles. Yeah, he's, there's a lot. He of runs people. A, a show at a comic book store. Oh, Camille. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking of. Great. Uh, <laughs> 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 and that's what he gets for being a good guy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he's such a nice guy and doesn't deserve it. But uh, yeah, I've read Adam's script. It's really cool. It's kind of a, a old school Steven Spielberg kind of throwback thing about a girl who on Halloween night uh, runs away from some bullies and ends up hooking up with some space pirates. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, that goes from September 7th to October 17th, uh, and you can donate on Kickstarter. And he, he is uh, really putting himself on the line with a bunch of the stuff he's been doing. So I'm really proud of him for getting this thing going. Great, good job. So search for Adam Murray or Joe and the Pirates. Katie! Oh, on Indiegogo, not Kickstarter. Let me fuck up that entire promo. (laughs) Indiegogo, Joe and the Pirates. I have one that I think Matt would like, uh, because it has to do with guitars. You'd be surprised. Go ahead. (laughs) You are on it today.
0: (laughs) Just staring blankly at the wall. You're You're casually morphing. I was literally staring into nothing. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting
2: married in a few weeks. How the Grinch got married. That would be a great story. Yeah, my
1: heart
0: would grow three more sizes and I'd die. (laughs) That's a part they don't tell you about. You ever tried The Grinch had heart disease. (laughs) They're
1: celebrating heart disease. Katie?
2: Anyways, if you live in the Cleveland area and you I need don't. a guitar fixed or you just want to talk to someone that knows a lot about guitars, oh, check it? out Guitar Geek Shop. Stan, who runs the shop, literally knows everything about guitars. Everything. He, everything. Right. Dude, he can fix shit. He can build shit. It's
1: cool. Can he make stuff left-handed? Guitar Probably. Geek Shop.
2: Probably. Yeah, Guitar Geek Shop. And if you go to Facebook.com slash Guitar Geek Shop, you can find out more about it. Suddenly someone's
0: more interested. Let me go to this Facebook website.
2: All right. Let's figure out what's going And if you on guys here. ever want to hear Matt talk for like almost two hours about left-handed guitar playing exclusively, listen to that episode of This Is Rad. Yeah. It's real intense. Check
0: it out. I've been there. I've done that podcast. What are you finding on the website? I'm, I'm just, I'm, well, I'm going to find it.
1: This episode of the podcast is Brian Regan, who's just such a legend. He's a living legend. And by legend, I don't mean that his time is over. He is still a murder active at the end of the legend. Episode. He's an active comedy legend, and you should see him live. If you if you have any interest in comedy, you should absolutely
2: see Brian Regan. And you can get
1: a free taste of
2: him live because he's doing that live special on Comedy Central.
1: I mean, the guy is such a he's he is a universally uh, a loved. Like I've seen so many different types of comics who uh, consider him an inspiration. Me me included. He is such an amazing. Absolutely. Comedy entity. he's promoting his Comedy Central special on Saturday, September 26th at 9 p.m. And he's filming the special live at Radio City Music Hall. So uh watch that when it
2: happens, Brian Regan. See if he says the F word on stage finally. He's not just say live it in front stage. of millions of
0: people. We got him to say it on comedy and everything else. Did you guys get him to say it? Oh, we yeah. did, yeah. It yeah, was yeah. great.
1: We got him to do one on it on here. Too. <laughs> yeah, it was like, <laughs> a Brian Regan. It's a swear. rare gift. Here's the Nerds Podcast number 734 with Brian Regan. Play the thing!
2: That's the worst Brian Regan impression.
1: Oh, was that Brian Regan's impersonation? No. It was just
2: my dumb voice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now entering Nerdist.com.
1: you start doing stand-up?
3: Is this part of the...
1: We've recorded all of that. Oh.
3: <laughs> well, let me put my other voice on then, now that I know. Who, have you, who are you that have just come into the room? A second ago, Brian Regan was here. And... Let me put on my personality hat. <laughs> um, I started a long time ago, 1980. 80 was the year. Yeah, 80 or 81. It's one of those two years. But uh, I dropped out of college mm-hmm. to, to try stand-up comedy. Because that
1: that was, I feel like the mid seventies is when comedy seems to like really you know that's when Steve Martin started doing stuff and Richard Pryor and and it, and comedy had come out of the sort of nightclubby and really become a, a, a force of actual standalone entertainment.
3: Well, it, it was beginning; it hadn't quite exploded yet. It hadn't exploded at all when I decided I wanted to be a comedian. The only comedy clubs that I knew about were in New York City and Los Angeles. And I was in college in Tiffin, Ohio, and I thought I'm going to have to move to one of those two cities to try to be a stand-up comedian. And then I went down to Miami, Florida where I grew up and I looked in the Miami Herald and there was a grand opening, an ad for the grand opening of the comic strip comedy club in Fort Lauderdale, sister club of the one in New York, open mic night. And I was like, wow. Like it was just such a beautiful thing to have this place that I could drive, not my car, my parents' car to, <laughs> to, to, to try, to try it. Do you remember what your first set was? My first set, I forget what the jokes were supposed to be because I blanked out. Completely? Complete blank out. I, uh, I got on stage and I had every word memorized, you know, like, Hi, how are you? Was memorized, <laughs> you know, written down and, and practiced. I got on stage. First thing I realized were the lights were brighter than I, what I expected. I said, hi, how are you? I got feedback in the mic. It went, and I ad-libbed. I said, well, I've already learned one thing. I don't know how to handle a microphone. And then everybody laughed, and my brain shut down. <laughs> oh, no. It just shut down. I couldn't remember anything, and I'm just on stage looking at these lights, just not knowing what to do, and I just started joking about how stupid I was that I couldn't remember my act, because it was an open mic night. Everybody knew I was an auditioner, and then they started laughing at that, and I ended up killing about this routine that I just winged about how stupid I was, and then I walked off stage, and I was like, I I don't know what to think, and uh, other comedians were coming up going, wow, that was cool how you pretended like you forgot your act. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't pretend that, man. And uh, so that was my first time on stage. Oh, wow. And then so the second time, did you do the rehearse bit? Or did you like, yeah, maybe I should pretend that I don't remember... I wasn't smart enough to do what I had learned the previous time. I went up and did the memorized stuff and bombed. <laughs> but I'm so glad that I, I didn't do that the first time, because who knows if I would have quit. If you ever would have gone back up again. Right. But it, it, it 1980 it was... Where people
1: people were really actually starting to make a career like that's that seems like the beginning of uh you know clubs opening up everywhere
3: well, I mean like nineteen eighty this comedy club opened up in fort lauderdale um and then by the time I, I worked there for two and a half years just trying to get good enough to be be able to work out on the road and right at the same time concurrently, that's when comedy clubs were opening around the country. It could not have been more perfect, so I was able to book myself. Basically every week, not because I was any good, but there were cl- there were clubs in every city at that point, and they needed comedians. If you could stand on stage and not melt for, <laughs> for thirty minutes, you could get booked so i, I, I was I, I ha- I was adequate I was adequate enough to get booked that's what I, w- I would call club bookers and go if you're looking for somebody who's adequate <laughs> I'm your man is this the bare minimum comedy club <laughs> I can do the bare minimum necessary for you not to fire me before the weekend hits I am a- I am able to talk in
1: front of people uh, <laughs> at a microphone and I won't I won't I won't run off the stage <laughs> there well, we won't uh, there's there won't be any negotiation <laughs> uh, no matter how bad it will be and it will be bad I will stay
3: there my my entire day Designated time.
1: I will distract these human <laughs> beings so that they will buy alcohol and uh, and
3: yeah. wings. And I will whatever. be perfect before you'll you'll have headliners, right? Funny people. I <laughs> will be perfect before funny people. I will I will almost upset the crowd to a point that your headliner will. They will really... be so happy when the funny guy comes on stage.
1: Did you started me. getting? Did you start getting to a point where when you were featuring? Were you, were you kind of started outperforming the headliner? Was that did that
3: start to become a, a, an issue? Um, yeah, but I mean that was never my quest. You know, I mean I was just trying to get as good as I could be. Um, I was never trying to. I never thought of it as a competition. You know, I never thought I was trying to be funnier than anybody else. In fact, that was always like an awkward compliment to get after a show. You know, when people would come up. And like take you aside and whisper, you know, like they wanted to take you to a dark alley (laughs) and go, you you were funnier than a headliner, you know? And it's like, as much as I appreciated the effort at a compliment, I'd rather they just say I was funny. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. "Eh, I thought you were funny. You don't have to go, you were funnier than that guy. Yeah. Like they're rearranging the show. Like, no, we're going to drag him outside and, and, her and kick the shit
1: out of him. But uh, just yeah. so you know. Yeah, I mean, it. it I think uh, I think people do kind of think that it needs to be like a one or the other sort of a thing. Or they can't just appreciate the show
3: <laughs> as, as a whole. Well, we, you know, it's such a competitive world now that, I mean, that's people like to put things in a hierarchy, you know? And right. And decide who is the best and then second best. And it's like, it, it, can't everybody be funny in a different way? Yeah. You know, I mean, that was always my feeling. Well,
1: I think the problem is that, that a lot of people think comedy is one thing. They think it's one thing. Thing. They don't understand that there are sort of you know shades of comedy, subgenres of comedy. You know, you wouldn't go see a you wouldn't go see a country band and be like, "I wanted hip hop." You're like, "Wow, well, right, well, you probably right. should have done a little bit of research before yes, you right. left your home." <laughs> but uh, but I think comedy is one of those things where they. I was just talking about it on at midnight about doing warm up. We're like, warm up is I think probably the hardest job in comedy. Like, I, doing warm up, do it. it is terrifying and it's difficult and it's a non-stop juggling act basically do you do it no 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 i i mean i I mean have you done it i've never done it i don't i don't know if i would be i think i think five minutes in i'd be like i don't know what else (laughs) (laughs) i'm out you're not giving me like i would get to the point where i just i had i would have to drop the comedy act and be like we're at odds now
3: (laughs) plus it was so i mean i would i would go watch ray romano tape his sitcom or kevin james tape his sitcom and you would watch the I was just as intrigued with whoever was trying to warm up the crowd because I'm a comedian, you know, and I, I would love watching the the warm-up people. And th- there was, like, no um, appreciation to the fact that they're working up to a punchline. Like, as soon as they're ready to shoot, they just ring a bell. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's like, <laughs> so they're in the middle of the punchline, so the guy said... Brrr! And I'll tell you after we shoot this scene, you know, and it's like, man, let the guy finish his joke.
1: No, I think comedy is always better when you stop in the middle of an act and then watch another scene unfold,
3: and then come <laughs> back to the guy nine minutes later. Yeah, it's the anticipatory uh, thing. Yeah,
1: if I were if I were doing warmer, then what I would do is not reset up the joke. I would just pick up exactly where <laughs> I left off before <laughs> and see if people would catch on. Right. But but everyone thinks you know comedy is all one. Th- oh, it's all you know. You can't just put the same guy as a warm up or in you know or doing colleges or doing clubs or doing theater. Like there's so many different shades of it, and I think that's one of the things that's sort of frustrating is that it's underappreciated how many different types of comedy there are.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I always feel like like you were saying the the music thing is a great example. You know, that that's what was weird about a. A building called a comedy club, you know I thought, how weird would it be to have a a building called a music club right? You know everyone likes music, but not everyone likes all kinds of music right so it 's the same with comedy yeah who doesn 't want to laugh, but not everybody 's going to laugh at the same kinds of things so I think that 's why comedy dried up a little bit is because people were going out and not necessarily seeing comedians that they liked. Um, so then, it, comedy had to kind of have a rebirth, where it's like, all right, I like this kind of comedy, or I like that kind of comedy, or I like this person or that person.
1: Yeah, but you're a guy that uh, that unifies. You're almost sort of the unified field theory of comedy. You tend, I, I, I've, I don't think I've ever talked to anyone that goes like, yeah, Brian Regan, I don't get it. Like everyone, even like the snobbiest comedy hipsters.
3: It's like yeah, Brian Regan's really fucking funny, or or just across the board. I'm hugely honored by that. I always, I mean, I just want to make audiences laugh, but to the fact that some comedians might like what I do, that's pretty. It's just a
1: huge honor. No, I think all comedians like what you do, and I've even I can I even can tell from people that I like performing that comics that I like now. I see. Sort of, you know, like ancestry traces of, oh, yeah, I, I can see the Brian Regan influence and I can see the – I I mean it's – you know, your your comedy molecules are spread
3: out into, well, into the world. It's just – it's I, – I mean I – like I said, I mean I, I'm just trying to get some people to laugh in the audience and um, I – but, you know, that playing to the back of the audience, you know, playing to the back of the room, making yeah. comedians laugh, you know, that was – Part of it, too, you know, but I never wanted to do it at the exclusion of the audience. You know what I mean? Um, I'm like, a, I'm a pig. I'm a, <laughs> I want everybody to like me. I'm a, but I, I think <laughs> I'm a creative pig. All, all I've ever
1: noticed, you know, the thing that I've noticed is that you have a tremendous amount of respect for your audience as... People who it seems as people who came out and wanted to be entertained, and you are there to service them and make sure that they have a good time,
3: sure, I mean you know it's like that's the, they absolutely they came out to have fun, and it's like that's kind of why we're all here, and i'll do I'll do my best I I, I I will try at every moment that I'm on stage that's all I can do. It might not work, <laughs> you know what I mean like if say you're doing a corporate show or something like that, and it's not necessarily working. I'm still trying. Every second, I will try to turn this ship around, but sometimes it's not going to happen. I don't
1: know. I always just feel. I I mean, and obviously this is this puts a lot of pressure on certain comedians. But I always think, oh, you know, guys like Jim Gaffigan or Brian Regan, they're bulletproof. They could, you know, like every
3: every room they could they could pull together. No, 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 no. I I mean, well, now I'm fortunate enough where I'm performing in front of people who, you know, have a ticket that has my name on it. you know. So, but it wasn't always like that. You know, there would be plenty of nights where, you know, it just wouldn't click. And plus my comedy, you know, it's, it's heightened reality. You know, I can get silly and I can get exaggerated and I can, you know, exaggerate a joke where I feel stupider than I really am or something like that. And if that heightened thing isn't working, that's... That's a big fall. (laughs) You know, you you can't pretend like you were just talking. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you can't pretend like you were just, you know, I I didn't even mean for that to be funny. It's like clearly that was supposed to be funny when I'm going, you too. (laughs) You too, in case you ever fly someday. And if they're just looking at me, I can't. You know, shrug that off like I never intended that to be humorous. <laughs> I think you need to stay in that character and just go, So what else is going on in the world? <laughs> just stay that guy. So it, 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 not only was it a bomb, it, th- those were big, big bombs. Those were big bombs. Go down swinging.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I'm always jealous of, uh, comedians who can be funny without going blue I, and it's always the first place my brain goes and I, i'm disappointed and i'm trying to get out from under it but you are able to not do that at all it's so, i am so in awe of it and i don't know how it works
3: well i mean when i first started i i had a handful of dirty jokes here and there you know what i mean i would use the f word Uh and a joke or two and I have a sexual reference here and there, but it was always such a small percentage of my act. And so you know, it it isn't that I'm Johnny Wholesome, it's just because I'm anal that I I, want to be a hundred percent something. I don't want to be ninety-five percent something. So it's just my anal quality kicked in that I became completely clean. So there's a lot of people miss the point and think that you know, like like I somehow think it's loftier or better, and it's I don't feel that way at all. I mean, there are blue filthy comedians who I think are geniuses. Richard Pryor, I think, is maybe the best stand-up comedian who ever lived. He worked blue. You know what I mean? I, I don't. I, 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 it's just a different way of doing it. That's all. I just think it's different.
1: Yeah, and he was also
3: he also
1: very much brought in this wave of people who were not doing like jokey jokes and really just. These are, these are conversations about my right, life, right and the fact that they were very authentic. I mean, I, I think ultimately, it, there needs to be an authenticity, and you can tell if someone's being dirty just to try to get a rise out of the audience, and you can tell when, when it's an organic part of who they are. Right,
3: as a, as a performer. I mean, I, that's where I kind of I't do say, draw the line, like I <laughs> who well, might be drawing lines, but <laughs> I, I do agree that I think some people are cheating. You know what I mean? Like hitting the words because they know the audience wants to hear the word. I don't mind if you're saying it because this is what you want to say, but if you're hitting it because you think that they'll respond to it, then, well, then you're crossing a line that you shouldn't be crossing as a performer. You know, you I always can- feel like we should be doing what we think is funny and not what they think is funny. Right. I always think that the, the, moment, the moment you try to figure out what they think is funny, I think is when you start making a mistake. Because you're trying to chase something that's... Because you're... Then, well, what's the point of you being on stage? You're not supposed to give them what they want. You're supposed to give them what you want to give them. Right. You know what I mean? Um, And hopefully they're going to agree. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) If they don't agree, you don't have a a career. You don't have... You know what I mean? You want them to agree on some of it. But, uh, you know, otherwise I feel like you're just... You're hitting buttons. You know, you're just on stage hitting buttons.
1: When... uh... When you get used to performing for people when, who are coming out because your name's on the ticket, have you did you ever have any uh, was it ever rocky if you just went into a club and just did a drop in set and no one expected you to be there and then like in other words, the curve between going back to performing for for people who didn't a hundred percent know who you were versus that kind of you know when people know who you are you you get a huge pass because they're excited to see you.
3: Not necessarily. I, I Here's what happens when I go into a comedy club on the road. Like, I'll finish my show. We'll go over to the comedy club, you know, and it feels good. Hey, I'm going back to a comedy club. I walk in and there's a person behind the podium who looks at me and says, it's a $12 cover. <laughs> they have no clue. They have no clue. And, and it's like kind of an ego hit, you know, where I have to go. Is there a way that I don't have to pay the cover charge? I just played at a venue that has a bank's name in front of it. <laughs> and
1: I feel like... <laughs> I, should... I mean, I have the
3: $12. I do, but I just feel in the principle of the thing, I shouldn't be giving it to you to come in here. But, and even like if I occasionally do a guest set, you know, it's weird. Like, I have a following, but... Many, 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 many more people don't know who I am than do know who I am. Even in a comedy club, I've I've gone on in guest sets and 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 like the MC being very gracious and kind and nice will make it sound like some star has walked in. And so I think they're expecting Jay Leno to hit the stage or something like that, and then they'll you will go Brian Regan, and I can hear people. I, I, I never heard of this guy. Have you heard of this guy? Do you know who he is? <laughs> you know I mean? So I got to go up there and earn it, just like everybody else that night. Yeah,
1: guys, I just came over from an audit from a from an arena. I want to make it clear <laughs> that I've just come over from the largest
3: venue in your town. So comp- I, I don't like to play that card. You though, can You know no. what I mean. Um, and I, I love the anonymity, but it, it amazes me how anonymous. Like I can literally play like a, a a big venue, right? I could go a half a mile down the road after the show to go into Burger King, and no one in there knows who I am. And I'm like, how is that possible? That <laughs> half a mile that way, I'm like, you know, big man on campus, and over here, nothing. Uh, you know,
1: because entertainment now, particularly, is so splintered and everyone you know there's a niche audience for everything and people don't know it's just it's not it's not like it was in the 80s where everyone just watched the same things everyone just saw the same things and watched the same right. things and now it's you know the, the 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 kid that's working at Burger King is, is watching other things on YouTube Correct. versus the people that you know came to see your show but you you know you built such an incredible following of what i assume to be Essentially relentless touring o- over the years, which seems like it, it. just, you know, do you ever take a break, or is it is it always is it like forty weeks a year?
3: No, I, I do half the weekends of the year. I do twenty six weekends a year, and I do four one nighters in that weekend: Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, I mean, I'm I'm always on tour, but I take out plenty of time off in between.
1: Yeah, and then each. Each new tour, is it 100% new stuff? Is, is, that, is that your... No,
3: it's, it's just uh, ever-evolving, you know what I mean? It's just like uh, if you go back to a city two years later, I'm hoping that that audience will see, who knows, 60%, 70% new stuff or, or more, you know? I mean, I'm really looking forward to doing this special because I, I want to move on from this material. You know, As much as I want to do it and be done with it, I, I, I'm looking forward to the material that I'm not doing. You know, what is your what's your cycle for the special? How many how long does it take you to do a new special and get through the material? Well, normally I would like to record something like every two to three years. But it's been like five since the last thing I did. I did a CD. And um, so it's been a little bit too long. So I'm getting kind of antsy.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You must be ready to purge. why yeah, I, I want to take this because it really does force you to like, oh, can't touch that anymore. Right. People have already seen it. Right. And then will you do the. uh do you, do you do any TV or anything else to support it, or do you just do you get to tour just on the strength of the fact that you release specials every so often, and that you just you tour every you know you tour reg- regularly?
3: Um, am I doing TV to support the special?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, will you go do sets on you know like uh, well now Colbert? Will you go do sets on? The... I'm going to do the Tonight Show that week. Oh, fantastic! Uh, with
3: Jimmy Fallon on that Wednesday, and then the special is that Saturday. I'm doing the Today Show um, Friday. I, I'm not sure who's interviewing me. I thought Matt Lauer, but somebody said maybe not. I, I don't know. But, Thank uh, God they're not like go do stand
1: up. It's people will think it's fun. No, it's uh,
3: morning and it's not a good time for. Uh, I don't. I'm I'm never comfortable in those environments. So I, I'm the only person telling people not to watch me on the Today Show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can watch me sit on a couch and look very lame and boring while somebody asks me questions on the Today Show. I've never felt that's my. You know, I like to be on stage doing that thing. That I know how to do. Conversations, I'm always like quite uncomfortable with them. You seem fine now. Well, th- this is a false exterior. I'm putting a facade on. I mean, you're scratching
1: no. a lot of the skin off your face.
3: <laughs> but uh Well, you're doing a, you know, we're talking about comedy and you're asking very good questions, so I feel more comfortable than I am Oftentimes.
1: Oh, when you get the, when you get the, like the morning, when you got to go do the morning TV show, when you're doing the, you know, when you're performing in a city, you're like, go do the morning TV show. And you're like, Brian Regan, uh, <laughs> uh, Brian, yeah. I understand
3: that recently, where
1: they're trying to set you up for a
3: bit, like, this is so... Yeah, one time so I'm doing some good morning, whatever show, and they said, uh, we're going to tease to you, go stand over by the camera, and we're going to say that you're going to be coming up after the break, so when we point at you, uh, do something twenty for 20 seconds. Do something... <laughs> (laughs) Do something funny for 20 seconds. What? What what should I do? Well, you, you've come up with it. You're the monkey. You're the funny monkey boy. (laughs) So, as far as I know, no one's coming back after commercial break because they go, and we're going to be back with him. And I stand there and I just blaze my eyes into the camera for 20 seconds. If you want to see more of a guy looking awkward and staring blankly into a camera, <laughs> we're going to have more of that on the other side of these commercials. <laughs> and then when you
1: come back, did you actually do the interview
3: afterwards? Sure, sure. So, uh, Brian, are you funnier on stage than you are doing teases? Don't talk to me. I'm, I'm staring. <laughs> Where's the camera? I want to burn a hole in it. I'm
1: staring at it. I can see your soul. I can see your soul, Dubuque. Wherever you were, yeah, it is. It's it's sort of hard because I think, especially in a lot of those in a lot of those towns, like there's there's usually all it, there seems to be the same delineation of there's a couple of people who work on the show that are they've been there a long time. They don't give a shit anymore. They have. They're to them. It's just I gotta show up and do this job, and then I'm gonna go home. And there's always kind of a younger person that's a little out of touch, but wants to be. Hey, man, I really. I don't know what these guys are. And it. And you're you're coming into basically a pre-existing inside joke that you don't know what Very any weird. of the reference points are.
3: I, I did one one time, and it was a man and a woman co-host, right? And the woman really thought I was funny. She told me before the interview, and, you know, it made me feel great. And then we get out there, and we're doing the interview. So the three of us are on camera, right? And she's sitting next to me, and she's laughing hyster- I'm trying to squeeze bits in, and she's laughing hysterically, which makes me feel tremendous. But he don't want to give it up. <laughs> he don't want to give it up. And he thinks it'll be funny to be rolling his eyes like I, like I don't get my co-host oh. and why she thinks this is so funny and it was just, you know, why? Why why, is, why does it have to be this awkwardness, you know?
1: Oh, because uh, I hate my mom. Oh, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of problems with women. I don't like my mom. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not happy as a person. <laughs> anyway, you're going to be I over probably... the... probably <laughs> is right. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I think to have to do, you know, a couple hours of morning television, morning radio every morning, I think is probably soul-crushing because it... it You know, to have to fill that much time every day and be up here, like, I can't imagine. And
3: and I'm not, you know, like radio hosts or whatever, I'm not belittling them. I'm the one that, I I know that that's not my skill set, you know what I mean? Um, You know, whenever whenever they say, well, just jump in when you feel like it, (laughs) I feel like saying... Then you might as well just bring me back to the hotel because I don't. I'm not a jump in guy. What if, if I don't a, feel like it? If there's a pool, I'm not jumping in the pool. <laughs> um, you have to ask me questions. If you don't ask me questions, I'm just going to sit there. Do Do you ever? <laughs> yeah, publicist is probably listening, thinking uh, you shouldn't be telling these stories about how bad you are at show business. <laughs> but, I know what I can do, and I know what I don't do well. I don't care. Is there, do you,
1: uh, do you ever feel that thing after a show where you just sort of feel, this is going to sound morose, and I don't mean it to, but do you ever feel that thing where you've just like scooped out so much at a show that you kind of just go back to your hotel and you just feel a little like sad and empty? Do you ever feel that after shows?
3: Um, I do with how quickly a theater can empty. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about feeling used. You know, you you, (laughs) You got pedaled to the metal for an hour. Good night, everybody! And then you walk off stage and you look out and you see like three people left. And you're like, well, we had our fill of that guy. Now we're going to get on with our lives. I would have left after 20 minutes, but that would have been rude. (laughs) I just waiting for you to say good night. So it's like, don't we cuddle? Isn't there cuddling afterwards? But you do.
1: But at this point, though. I would imagine you you probably kind of have it pretty well down. Uh, I mean what? I'm sorry. Mentally, mentally you kind of have yeah, it Yeah, I mean like you know know what I I, I have is.
3: little tricks I can do to placate my soul so I don't feel worthless.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: I can look in the mirror and and give me some pep talks, get myself some pep talks every now and then. Um, the audience isn't really here, so it doesn't matter. They're all a figment of your imagination, an extension of your ego. You know, one of the weirdest shows I did, uh, uh, I was before I performed in theaters myself, I was lucky enough to open for Jerry Seinfeld, and he performed at a theater, I think it was in Houston, and it was one of the first theaters I'd ever been in, performing in, and I walked on stage, literally, there were like 4,000 people in there, literally I could see zero of them, zero, you, you couldn't even see the front row, the lights were so bright, and the stage was configured in a way that you couldn't see anybody. And I walk out there and I'm like, how bizarre is this? I'm playing uh, supposedly to human beings and I'm making this big black wall with white lights in it laugh. And it was so surreal because you're hearing 4,000 people. um, They're laughing and then you say goodnight (laughs) and you walk off stage and go, what the hell was that all about? Like it was just, like I literally didn't see a soul. Oh, I forgot to tell you. We died on the way to the theater. <laughs> <laughs> it was very <laughs> And I well I was thinking it could have been like a Thank you, God. <laughs> I'm sure he would have been able to. <gasps> We're not great... alive anymore.
1: Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh. oh wow. Yeah, if you're funny enough, you get into the afterlife anyway. You... I should have told you that before, but maybe it's better I didn't. So good yeah, job. I don't want to. I don't want to spook you out before you get out there. <laughs> okay. Is there a, is there a horrible thing that someone can say to you right before you go on stage? Do you have any buttons where it's like, please don't do that right before I go on stage?
3: One is uh, uh, family stuff, you know, like a family problem or something like that. Um, you know, you don't want to get a... F- if I get any phone calls from any brothers or sisters, because my parents are both, you know, they're about to turn 89 years old, any phone call or text from any brother or sister within an hour and a half before the show, I'm not taken. <laughs> because I don't want to get that call that, you know somebody's not around anymore and then have to go on stage. You know what I mean? Right. uh, That was a pretty dark answer. No, but a very. (laughs) So the answer is I don't want to be told my mom is dead. (laughs)
1: Great to be here. Not really.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That answers that question. Yeah, that would be like
1: it, Brian Regan goes super dark on stage. It was weird. He didn't do any jokes. He just talked about
3: mortality for yeah. like 80 minutes. He must have gotten a phone call. He didn't want to get. <laughs> oh, cell phones. Well,
1: that's what's so. Yeah, I mean, like you know, in the 80s, there was that was less of a chance of that happening because you'd have to call in to check your messages. Right. Someone could find out immediately. Yeah. Now they can tell you right. Well, they should. You know, don't they have the decency to die after the
3: encore? Don't they? They have my webpage page when my shows are you're gonna die on a Saturday I, I'm playing Radio City Chapers. <laughs> typical parents <laughs> crushing the dreams.
1: this is exactly what I went through my entire life.
3: Oh man this no is I have one of these horrible ironic things and then after he did that podcast
1: it's... no, no we, we do not have that much power in the universe I <laughs> if we do then I, that would be really awful. We should use that for good, not to kill people's parents. That would be a terrible <laughs> right. way to use it. be a terrible way to go about that. Use it that. for
3: good instead of evil.
1: I I I always uh, kind of get n- nervous when you know uh, someone's like, oh, I have friends. For some reason, like friends, like family or friends, make me kind of nervous. Like if if they're strangers, it doesn't bother me as much. But if it's like Oh, you know, uh, my, your, your aunt and she's brought some friends from her bridge club. And then I'm always like, Oh no. Cause then they're the ones that you'll hear about. You'll really hear about
3: what they thought about it afterwards. I, I have that. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with them being in the audience. I do not want to see them. I right. don't, I don't want to see them, you know? And, uh. I guess that would be a horrible thing to hear before a show. I put your parents in the front row. You know, also, they
1: died. Uh, just, <laughs> so maybe this was...
3: <laughs> and they're not alive. Anyway, have a, have a good see set. Them. And you can have a good see them. Set, full house tonight. Good job, Brian. Good job. Um, Do you but... want
1: anything? Do you want a water? Or you... <laughs> oh, my God. What are you doing? Me?
3: <laughs> I mean, I, I've seen cousins and nephews and stuff in the front row. And it's like after the show, it's like the first thing I have to talk about with the tour people it's like you can't do that man you can't put people i know in the front it's it's really really disarming it what do you think is what do you think it is that's weird about it It, it's just you know i don't know i think comedy for me comedy is best in front of strangers yeah I, i don't know why i mean not that i i'm i'm not so naive to realize that there aren't people in the audience that i know but i'm trying to make this room full of strangers people laugh you know um one of the first times I tried it in college was with all my friends. You know, I knew I wanted to be a comedian, and uh, so they set this thing up where I would do comedy at the campus bar, and it's all my friends in the audience, and it's like it's it it doesn't work because I'm on stage trying to go into these premises, you know, going hey well, I was on a bus today, and they're like no you weren't. <laughs> Why? Well, yeah, no, I, I know I, I wasn't really, but let's just pretend for a moment. Well, it's hard for us to do because we were with you all day. It's amazing how you're all able to talk in unison that way. <laughs> you're one collective mind, one collective mindset, <laughs> all speaking out together. Yeah, I, uh,
1: it, 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 I get kind of weirded out if, and I, I really appreciate when. Because you know, people will come to multiple shows, like the same people will come to multiple shows, and I do appreciate it. But I always get – it's so funny how in my head I can get about one person as opposed to a lot of people going, I know they know what this joke is that I'm about to tell, and I feel weird about it. And they don't because they know what they're, they're – they made the choice. Right. But I still can't help but get in my head about it. Are you the same?
3: I, 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 I try I, – I used to not like looking at the person who – isn't laughing. Um, I was doing a show at uh, I forget what club it was, a comedy club, and I'm on stage, and there were there were two women sitting next to each other, like three tables back, but they were in a underneath a can- they were underneath a canned light, so I could see both of them. And not only did they not like me, <laughs> they needed their faces to show. <laughs> <laughs> That they didn't like me. They needed me to know that they didn't like me. And they were both just staring at me. Um, Clearly, I didn't have them. And yet I was, you know, kind of killing with everybody else. But I couldn't help but I kept peeking over at these two. And one in particular. I mean, she was a physical presence. She was very large and just staring at me like I don't. If her body language could talk, it was like you're not funny. So I finally did one joke that you know, the biggest laugh I'm capable of getting, like, and boom, everybody's laughing. So I look over at her, like, to think, well, maybe this is, maybe this is the one. And I looked at her, and while everyone's laughing, I looked at her, and she's staring at me, and I, like, shook my head, like, not even that one? (laughs) And she shook her head back, like, not even that one. And I laughed. I laughed on stage. Like I had this aside with this person who clearly doesn't like me. Like we communicated, you know, it was weird that that was happening while other people were enjoying it. it, it, But there's something kind of fun about
1: the fact that you acknowledged your sort of arch nemesis (laughs)
3: position. Mm, I'll see you at the next show. I know you're my enemy, but I, I want you to know I know about you. Not even that. Not even that one. That makes me. But sometimes I feel like you.
1: You know, because comics can get so in their heads about what the audience is thinking, and I think sometimes it's best in, – in and that, that's a specific situation, what you just said. But sometimes – haven't you ever had the experience where you go like, God, this wasn't a good show. I don't know what the fuck. I, no one – and then afterwards they're like, we thought you were so uh. great. And then you find out, oh, they're just not effusive. They're just kind of – some people just sit there politely. Like, we'll let him talk, but then afterwards it seems like, oh, they actually had a good time.
3: It's hard for me still, you know, I mean, I've been doing this a while. It's still hard for me not to say after a show that I wasn't happy with a show because like you're saying, people like it and don't they don't know how you did the night before. They don't know that you felt you crushed the night before. So you're working your way to get through a set those people in the audience could be having a perfectly fine time. <laughs> and then like I have to learn how to not say ah, I didn't like it so much, you know, like if they say hey, I enjoyed the show, I just got to go, well, thank you, you know, but I'm still trying to learn that.
1: Well, that's why I think it's so funny when people when, like when you get into a tiff with someone on the internet and people go, well, don't pay attention to the trolls and you're like, but you don't understand, my profession conditions me to find the one person in the audience who's not enjoying themselves and and deal with them or the heckler and right. deal with them. That's what we're conditioned to do.
3: Right, exactly. They exist, and you can't, uh, you know, it's hard to pretend like that they, they don't exist. With, you know, a room full of people, one heckler, that's the one that you have to take on. Do you enjoy that part
1: of the process? Does it sort of keep it fresh and fun, or would you prefer that no one speak out ever during the shows?
3: Um, well, I mean, you can divide hecklers into friend and foe, you know, I mean, you get your friendly he- hecklers who are still sometimes messing up the show because they're yelling at inappropriate times, but they don't know they're messing up the show. They're just yelling their favorite sports team or they're yelling a bit that they want to hear. You know what I mean? But they're not necessarily trying to harm you. Right. Um, so you have to handle that differently, obviously, than somebody that's yelling, um, you're not funny, you never have been funny, and you never will be funny. You know, somebody that has that... <laughs> Paid $45 just to make sure you knew that. <laughs> well, if, if they have that explicit you? of a heckle, you know. Um, but those kind of hecklers, I always think, are much rarer than people think. Most yeah. people aren't that mean. Right. You know, I mean, I can count on one hand that the amount of times that somebody has been that mean-spirited, you know. Especially at this point, if they, if they came
1: to see your show specifically, they're really kind of shooting themselves in the foot. If they're to you know to say to say something like that, like well, but you left you you came here on purpose, right? As opposed to you know if you're just in a random club and some guy's drunk and he wants to hear jokes about poop and you're not telling poop jokes or whatever. Uh, I guess my point is more poop jokes. Uh, <laughs>
3: <laughs> guess what? I'm writing
1: tonight. <laughs> you know I've been resistant to it, but it is funny. Sure. Uh, are there types of? Do you ever think of things that? Because you you your voice is so I, – I assume that your your voice is so strong that you can essentially – even if you just started describing anything, it would come out as a a Brian Regan bit, you know, like you, that you kind of – you know how to say something in a way that automatically frames it in a comedic way. But are there things that you
3: go, well, you know, this doesn't
1: really – I think this is funny, but this doesn't really fit my voice at all.
3: Oh, sure. I mean I think of uh... – very dark very dark twisty things um sometimes i you know i i i wonder sometimes could i ever you know experiment and play around with uh a darker type of comedy um right now you know it's like i i do shows now where sometimes people bring kids you know it's not a kiddie show but like you look out in the audience and there's a nine-year-old girl holding a red balloon You know, I don't want to tell a joke that's going to send reverberations up the (laughs) string and make her balloon pop, you know? Um, But I do wonder if there could be a time in my career, who knows where I could just go into clubs and do a a twistier side, you know, and show a, a more demented side because it's, it's there. I mean, you know, I, have a personality that includes, you know, the kind of comedy I do on stage, but I can also be kind of off the tracks. I think, you know, I, I think the place to do
1: that would be like, you know, if you're in New York, drop by UCB one night or drop by UCB here or our, you know, or our Nerd Melt Theater over. It's like, these are places where you can do that and go, I think, pretty it, – it wouldn't touch the rest of your career. And I think those people – would really, I think it could be really. I think it'd be really interesting. But it, I think it'd be a safe zone for you to try that. Kind would of I stuff. be
3: able to say a word like shit? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: As a matter of fact, if it was at UCB, you could actually shit on stage, <laughs> and it, they still would not oh. be phased. Oh, you could
3: point at the shit. Yeah. And call in college, this <laughs> is what. Yeah,
1: this is literally a poop joke. I mean, you could do that, and I think that in some senses they would respect it. Oh, wow. But but you can. I mean, you you could. You know, those are the places where you can be more experimental. And because it's so low impact in terms of, like... You know, the people that are going to UCB at 11 o'clock at night are not going to the big arena. You know, the big arena. Mm. They're separate audiences. But I don't know. It's just something to think about. If you wanted to experiment, even yeah. one time, you could get a sense of whether or not you, uh, you thought it worked. It's yeah.
3: intriguing, you know. I'll write down some four-letter words and memorize them.
1: <laughs> it's just no joke. You know when you're <laughs> choke-fucking a dog to death? Oh, my God, what <laughs> happened? <laughs> and then someone puts it on the Internet. Oh, man. You said this wouldn't touch my career. I got to choke-fuck more dogs. <laughs> To death.
3: just to feel wow <laughs> it would probably just be the kind of stuff I do but with curse words in it what the fuck is with fucking pop tarts <laughs> you know you're, you're god damn it you're sitting there reading the motherfucking directions and you're going three seconds are you fucking kidding me no fucking way
2: <laughs>
3: and then you think you're done with that and you go holy motherfucking shit microwave directions <laughs> Anyway, you guys have been great. I go, wait, wait, that was a 30-second joke. Now it's a two-minute joke. Oh, I see. Uh, I feel so alive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's... (laughs) Even if you just
1: did that. (laughs) I know this is an alternative room. It's a little bit edgier, so I'm taking some of my old material and spicing it up a bit just just... (laughs) for you guys. (laughs) I hope you enjoy it.
0: You're going to
3: bleep all those out, right?
0: (laughs) Well, um... (laughs) Um, I don't know if, uh... Oh, well. Oh,
1: oh well. It's all... God damn it. No, but it is... uh, It it could be a fun place for you to... Because, you know, ultimately, I'm sure as a performer, there's stuff that you feel like you can't... You know, do you ever feel... I don't know. Prison is kind of the wrong word, but just sort of like... I I'm I'm a little kind of in. If I want this to continue, it kind of has to stay in this region.
3: Well, it's it's a very interesting question because I have tried to be careful my whole career not to allow myself to be painted into a corner. You know, as soon as I feel like I'm being overly defined a certain way, I would always write away from it instead of going towards it. I would write away from it. I I never wanted to be something you could easily hang your hat on. Um, You know, there was a while when I was like I was doing victim comedy, you know, feeling stupid, and then I would start reading articles, oh, he's the guy that always feels like an idiot, not in a negative way, but it was like I was being defined that way, so I was like, all right, I'm not writing any more jokes like that, now I I started writing anger fantasies and, you know, changing the kind of stuff I would do, and then like the crouching around on stage, you know, some people would say, oh, he's the the guy that always crouches around on stage, I'm like, I don't want to be like a cartoon, so... I'm going to show these people that I can stand upright, you know? <laughs> so I would always work away from it, and I don't know if at some point the clean thing would be part of that. I, I, I don't know. Um, because clean is what I respond to. Not that it's clean, but it's just everyday stuff, you know? So that that's what I gravitate towards. But lately I've been, I don't know why, I'm like fascinated with foreign policy and <laughs> politics, and it's like I'm writing jokes that cut your audience in half, you know what I mean? Uh, because they take a position, and... um but I want to, I want to do them. You know what I mean. And so, uh, who knows? I, I just want to be ever evolving, if you will.
1: Well, I don't think you'd be happy if you did jokes. It's because it's exactly what you said. And then at that point, you're just doing it for the audience, and you're not doing it for yourself anymore. Correct. And so, you know, you can't. I feel like that'd be a tough thing to sustain for any length of time because it really would be it, it, those moments after a set where you kind of feel a little. Uh, you'd feel a little extra, ah, oh, and I didn't even really care about what I was saying on stage.
3: Right. I, I mean, that, and that's something that I always try to be careful of and make sure that I'm I'm hitting things. I mean, I still do things that are important to me and that, you know, interest me, but they are on the, you know, the cleaner side of the tracks, I guess. But, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, you look at George Carlin. I mean, his later career, he was certainly a different comedian than he was at the start of his career. You know, he was doing hippie, hippy dippy, dippy weather man. And then at, later he's doing social conscious, consciousness stuff and talking about whether God exists and Richard Pryor, same thing, you know, his early years, he was definitely doing a different thing than he did later in his career. So I think if you're a, a comedian, it, it, there should be an arc to it. You know, um, there, there should be a growth to it. And, uh, so I try to be open to that and make sure that I allow that to happen for me. Did you ever? Um, do you have any stories about about realizing that
1: one of your ultimate heroes was in the audience, and then you had to go on stage, and then you, or were, or were you, you know, you're, you're very comfortable on stage, so you don't think about that stuff? But like, was Carlin ever in the audience, or any of those,
3: any of those ghost guys? Did you ever perform uh, for them? No, I never had the – uh, good fortune to, to ever meet George Carlin I would have liked to Oh my god uh, that's crazy really No I never I mean I, I saw him perform I, In fact I was working at a comedy club in Atlantic City Okay And George Carlin was playing like In the main room Okay And so we finished our show And the guys from the club were able to get us To slip us up into the back of the theater So I go up in the back of the theater I'm watching George Carlin On stage On stage you know, like, could there be a bigger legend in comedy than George Carlin? And he's not having a good show. So I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated watching George Carlin, who was one of the best comedians who who's ever lived. I'm fascinated just watching him. But I'm also fascinated that he's not having a good show. And while I'm watching, this Jersey guy and his wife gets up and start walking out. They had to walk past me to get to the exit. And this guy, I overhear this guy go... This guy don't know nothing about comedy. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to grab him and go, do me a favor. You go find the guy that knows more about comedy than that guy and bring him to me because I would love to meet him. The guy that knows more about comedy than that guy.
1: Oh, it's uh, Vinny Rabarino, my butcher. The guy's a fucking riot.
3: He he, he puts his hand under his arm and he makes armpit fart noises.
1: This guy's guy's talking about uh, how we should uh, open our minds and think freer and accept everyone. I don't got time
3: for that (laughs) shit. (laughs) I mean, nothing against Jersey. I love performing in Jersey. That's just where this happened to be. And I say, fuck you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, because when I take the other side of it...
0: <laughs> just got to be fun to... <laughs> yeah,
1: Point-counterpoint. Point-counterpoint. Point, <laughs> all my counterpoints And But I say, fuck yourself. Uh, okay, yeah. well, it's hard I to... Have no, I, have it's no hard to I have no facts.
3: There's no... Nothing is just... <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to see him one of these debates? You know, like somebody lays out their economic policy and then go to the other guy. Well, I say, "Fuck you." That's going to be Trump.
2: One hundred percent. We do have that. Going. We do
1: have that guy we right do have now. That guy. It is. Uh, I'm actually. I'm a hundred percent shocked that it, they just haven't cut back to him and his dicks out. Like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> huh? 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 Does that answer your question? Uh, You're going to apologize for that? Why? I'll apologize when I'm wrong. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It's. Each week that goes by, I keep going like, he's going to say something that's impossible to come back from. And it just seems like the further out he goes and the, the less apologetic he is, the more people are like, oh, I guess we got to follow that it's, guy.
3: It's like the, the Twilight Zone episode. There was a Twilight Zone episode of a comedian. I think he went to hell. Oh, I wish I could remember this exactly. And he's on stage and bombing. And, and, and that's going to be his, his eternity is people like uh, not enjoying it. Ever. But- yeah, and, and, and they keep laughing more and more at like, oh, he's just telling painful stories, and they're just laughing more and more. So I, I just wonder if the political thing – like it doesn't matter how far he goes, people just like it more and more. It's, it's weird watching the the graph. Yeah, I just – I feel like
1: sooner or later, though, he's got he, to – because there have been a couple points where you're like, really? That didn't undo him? Wow, okay. Um, what is that? Right.
3: Like, <laughs> the McCain thing, you know, you would have thought um, – you know, once you're like denouncing a, a hero, yeah, you think that would do it. Um, I actually, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm intrigued with the whole thing, though. I'm intrigued with the fact that he says what he likes. I like that because too many politicians are, you know, very controlled in what they say, so there is a refreshing quality to it.
1: Yes, there there is, but it's just unfortunately like a lot of what he's saying. You're like, no, you shouldn't be so. What are you? Why? You know, understood. Th- there is a, there is, but I do understand. But I do get that part of it that because again, people want authenticity, and so if someone is saying something that they be- that they believe and they are true to what they're saying. There is something that I think is 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 magnetic about that in a in a in a realm where where you know everyone's basically pandering to you because they want you to like them. Mm. Uh, but uh, and I think there are some interesting lessons about comedy from watching this scramble, which is exactly what you were saying earlier. Like when you know the audience can, can knows when you're pandering to them, and I think they also can tell unless you're a master, they know when you're telling them the truth mm-hmm. at the same time. And that's why I, – because I, I would always wonder – there are some guys where you – they're super funny and they kill in a club. But then the audience leaves and they're like, oh, that guy was really funny. What are you talking about? Well, I don't know. He was just really funny. And then someone – you you know, you know, a Louis type of comic gets on stage. He tells some personal stories and it's, it's, it's really sticky with people for right, some reason. It's right, like, oh, right. they felt like they got a piece of that person. Mm-hmm. And I, it seems like – you know, even if they don't agree with the thing that they saw, they still, you know, like they're taking away something.
3: Well, I mean, I I, I agree. I, I think comedy, you know, I hate when people are only seeking out things they agree with. You know, it, it's okay to enjoy a political comedian who's on the opposite side completely of, of how you feel. Um, you know, I used to love watching Paul Mooney in New York. I would perform at Caroline's and he would do the late show and I would sit in the back and watch... And and you know he wasn't very always kind to white people you sure. know, but I loved it. I I loved hearing. Um, I, I'm talking about it in his comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he has a perspective. He's 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 a he's an African American, and he's doing comedy from his perspective in his life, and I would love hearing, watching the comedy through his prism, you know. And I think. Um, you know, too many people like they hear something that they don't agree with on stage, and you, you, you get offended by it, and like, "Humph, I'm going to walk out." Go, what, 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 why does it scare you to hear something you don't agree with?
1: Right? Why do you have to agree with it? Well, you now, don't have to agree with the person. Especially, especially, we're you know, our our um, our culture is so coddled by the like button, and so, and people are so spoiled with. Well, everything that entertains me has to be ex- exactly like every other thing that I like, and if it's not, then I don't have time for it, and you know, and, and so it is. I, I always, I think a lot of audiences don't understand, like, look, you just have to do 15% of the work, 10% of the work. Just come a little open-minded. Just come and and, and allow yourself to be swept right. away and don't defensively be like, you better make me laugh. And if you don't say what I like, then I'm going to walk <laughs> out, you know, like the guy at the George Carlin show.
3: Yeah, to me, it's like, uh, com- you know, the performer's building half the bridge. The audience should build half the bridge, yeah. you know? you you meet in the middle it's like you got to do some work out there you know i don't want to just come out with a big platter of shiny things <laughs> do you like my platter of shiny things you lazy you know it's like i like them to complete a joke in their head and go okay i see where you're going you know um so
1: but i do think that at this point you know people do do that i mean i think your audiences are conditioned enough to know your, your audiences people like comedy i would imagine like if I, they, if I they come so. to see you time and time again, and uh, how many how, how many tours is this? Can you even count how many tours? I, I
3: don't I don't start them and end them. I I just want it to be continuous. Yeah. It, when I first started performing in theaters, everyone was telling me you got to title it. You got to title it, and it's like I was so resistant to it. So I titled one, and then a year later they're going, "All right, what's the new title?" I'm like, "Well." That last thing wasn't a thing with a beginning, middle, and an end. It's just me doing stand up. And so I just said, I'm not titling them anymore. It's just me on tour doing stand up and just come and check it out. So, uh, so the tour is there, there's no start to it, there's no end to it. It's just I'm always out there. And where, do you tr- where are you able to try large swaths of new material? Can you just do that? I just the, in do the them theater? on stage. I mean when I when I first started I was a little reluctant, you know, thinking, wow, these people paid to see a show, but it's like, well, wait, no, this is what I do. This is my craft and you're here to watch how I do it. And so I just work it into the the shows.
1: Yeah. And do you ever acknowledge if it's Sure. Yeah, you do.
3: Yeah, I mean it it, it depends on how on how much they didn't laugh. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, if there's enough of a chuckle where you can pretend like that's what it was supposed to get, you can move on, but uh crowds are cool they'll give you foul balls you know they'll
2: give, <laughs> they'll give you foul balls
3: you know the greatest hitter in the world is going to hit one into the stands people aren't going to just start booing you know so um but once you hit too many foul balls then I'm like then I have to shut down the new stuff sometimes you know is there something is there is there one quality that you think is the most important thing for a comic
1: to have whether it be could just be like oh funny or honest or um uh or you know, daring or bold. Like, is there one thing that you think a comic really should be on stage? Wow. Um,
3: boom, boom, boom. I, I don't know if this answers the question directly, but you know, it, it, it speaks to what I was saying before about you know trying to figure out what audiences want. You know, I, I I think unique, unique is the the answer to that because I think when I'm on stage and I feel like I'm not having a good show, what what comforts me is going, forget, forget about these people. I'm not, I shouldn't be trying to make them laugh. I imagine me out in the middle of the audience. And I go, make me laugh. What, what, what would I laugh if I was out just sitting in the middle of the audience? And it comforts me and it gets me back to how I think I'm funny. Now, sometimes that'll turn a crowd around and sometimes it won't, but at least I'm being true to myself. So I, you know I always think the more unique a comedian is, the more interested i am as a as a you know an observer you know i love not being able to guess comedians punchlines yeah if if i just can't guess them i'm entertained yeah like if they set something up and you go please don't go please don't do this right please don't say what i think you're going to say please and if they say it it's so disappointing you go oh man you know <laughs> but if they just say anything other than what i think they're going to say i'm like yeah <laughs> It, it, you know that's a success to me
1: I, and I, and i i kind of wonder if maybe going in the direction that you predict is because they're trying to they, they're trying to land it in the audience's lap they're trying to go well this is where the audience would expect to go and i got to i got to bring it to them as opposed to you know if someone's being authentic to themselves that's where it's impossible. I mean, like there are some performers, you know, people like Maria Bamford or people where you see them, and you go, well, yeah, no one else could do that act right, because right. it's so much a part of who that person is. It is, it is un, you know, like it. You could not transmute that to any other comedian and have it work. Those are, the, you know, th- those kinds of people really. All, I'm always so blown away. I, by I agree.
3: I think she's fantastic. I I love watching her stuff. I love watching. The characters she lives out on stage—they're so beautifully unique and interesting. Yeah, I mean she's a perfect example.
1: Do you watch a lot of comedy? Do you try to keep up with who's doing what, or did you not want that in your head?
3: I, I go through phases, you know. I mean, there are times when I really don't want to be. Uh... Well, part of it—I I, I don't like to watch sometimes, just because it's like I want to be off. I want—I want to not be a comedian. You know, right. I'm a daddy. I've got two kids. I—I—I I, I like to. Live that world. And, um, but, you know, I have the Sirius XM and I'll, you know, occasionally listen to the comedians. And I have comedians who are friends. They perform in Las Vegas. I'm going to go out and see their show just to be a supporter and that sort of thing. So there are times when I'll want to know what people are doing, but not so much to guide me, but just to kind of know what's out there.
1: Did your earlier stuff, are you okay with it? Or do you look back and you go, ah, what was I? Oh, come on.
3: I, I watched an old tape of mine that had been done years ago, a local talk show in South Florida. And it was local comedians going on. It was about the comic strip comedy club and the new wave of comedy. And I, I braced myself to, to cringe, like, you know what I mean? And when I watched it, I mean, I was very green and some of the jokes were like yeah that's a little so-so but there were there were there were enough things in there that were peculiar and different it it made me feel good to go i think i was on the correct path even back then you know even though i hadn't completely figured out how to be unique and interesting but at least there was enough interesting things in there where i was like okay i wasn't a hack you know yeah. i mean i had I, I hadn't quite figured my path out yet but um it was okay you know
1: so you think uh probably good for a performer to maybe write out their first idea for a joke and then go okay I know I can go this place with it but is there another level deeper is there another weird place that I can go with it or is there another take on it do you think it needs to be that self-conscious or do you think it's like yeah just write whatever you think is fun
3: well I mean if it's their idea for a joke it might not already exist out in the world but I mean there are common premises that people can go to and like people are going to think the same thing and um, you know it's that concept of low-hanging fruit, you know what I mean? It's like, well, it's easy to pick low-hanging fruit, go above it. That's why I used to watch, I, I used to love Dave Letterman interviewing people in the audience, you know, and they would say something, they would have a silly name, or they would like say something that was so easy to attack comedically, and he went around it. He wouldn't go for it. And I just I would I would admire the hell out of that. It's like he's not going for the low hanging fruit. He's he's going beyond it, and that's what I think comedians should be doing. It's like, well, you know, not don't always go for the easy thing. Try to make it a little bit more challenging. You know, is the uh, is the I, I find I, tr- I say that, and, and my act is me crossing my eyes and hunching over on stage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <you're> that. <laughs> You're the cross-eyed hunchover guy. <laughs> so if you want to hear some Pop-Tart humor, you know Pop-Tarts are higher uh, on the tree than you might think. I feel I feel like I'm talking about somebody else here. <laughs> uh, now if there could only be a comedian that could live up to what I'm talking about.
1: But it ain't me. Time, but
0: it's
3: I feel like talk show
1: stand-up is can be dicey because some of the talk shows, like, the setup is weird. The audience is a mile away from the stage. Sometimes they're kind of distracted. They're not always mic'd very well. Like, I feel like there are so many things that almost get in the way of comedy, like doing talk
3: show comedy. How many – when, when was the first time you did a Tonight Show? Uh, I was lucky enough to get on a year before Johnny Carson retired, and I believe it was 1991. Yeah, and how, how was it? It went it – went, I was happy with it. Oh, good. Yeah. I picked all the low-hanging fruit I could pick. <laughs> um, no, it was, uh, you know, it, it went okay, yeah. Good. Uh, did, you hang, did he call you over? Did you talk to him? or did... Not because of the set. You know, I mean, like, I always make the distinction. You know, there's, like, that f- lore, if you will, of, like, people killing. And then he goes, hey, come on over. Um, I got to go over afterwards because a guest didn't show up. Uh-huh. And so they let me go back out and do five more minutes on the panel at the end of the show. I think and you should just was... assume that as your set was so good the
1: guest was like, "Well, I can't follow
3: that. <laughs> so I'm just going to not show up." No. I I mean, you know, it, it, I I just would be careful never to include myself in the company of people who he did that with, you know. So
1: that's kind of funny where where you're what you'll allow yourself as like how you reward yourself and you go, I want to make it very clear that that was not, that well, I'm not
3: saying that. Yeah, it was I mean, this it would like, be kind of easy for me to go, yeah, I went over and did panel one and it's like, well, wait a second, there was a story to it and it was sort of like a, a weird way that it happened. But,
1: well, not uh, everyone would admit that so I think you should give yourself some cool points for that. But you know. uh, when you're writing, do you write, do you write word for word anymore or do you just go, well, this is, some, this is in the neighborhood of what I want to do and I'll
3: work it out on stage? I, I'm not good at, coming up with an idea with a blank piece of paper in front of me, you know, if i if i have a blank piece of paper in front of me, that piece of paper will just remain blank. Um
2: <laughs>
3: I don't I don't I I don't, you know, sometimes i'll go, "Come on, comedy. Come on, come out of me." And um it doesn't it doesn't come out of me, so i I know that that doesn't work for me.
0: Like I ha- trying to exercise <laughs> yeah. yourself come on, I know you're in there
3: you're hiding in there somewhere um I just have to live my life, I have to go walk around and do what I would normally be doing, and then sometimes things jump- up and down in life, you know, and you go hey there there's a bit, but it 's almost like it's an external inspiration like i don't like, it's out there. it's. I always think of it as like when you're chosen to be the captain in high school gym and you get to pick the team for the basketball that day. And there's, uh, you know, kids jumping and pick me, pick me. That's what bits are like to me. Things happen in the world and they go, pick me, I'm kind of funny. And you go, oh, I guess that is funny. And then once you have it, and once you have the idea... Then you can apply a craft to it and, all right, let me pick interesting words to make this pop a little bit more, but the original inspiration i don 't know how to do that
1: is uh, but I think there's something about the machine of being so regular with your touring that your brain is just kind of greased up all the time because you because it, it's because it 's fairly you know even though you take a few months off here and there I think your mach- the machine isn 't rusty, so I think that is probably always working in your favor
3: yes and no i mean there, there I, I definitely have my lull periods where I don't feel like I'm being there. I'm, I'm not thinking of much, you know what I mean? And then I don't know what it is. I guess maybe it's similar to an author who has a writer's block or something like that. It doesn't go for a long period of time but I'll go through periods of time. I don't worry about them anymore because I've I've gone through them in the past where and I, I know I'm going to turn a corner somewhere and boom, all of a sudden I'm going to start thinking about some things that are interesting to me, you know? Um, so I just wait for it to get fertile again.
1: Well, that's, re- that's really important that you have that confidence because it is, you can go through those periods where you're like, oh, yeah, I guess there was a finite number of, there was a finite amount of comedy water in my, in my barrel <laughs> and it's empty now and, uh, it's <laughs> never going to rain again. This is the, right. this is the drought that's going to kill, you know. And then a, a month will go by, and you're like, oh, okay, wait. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'm not a complete moron.
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, as long as you have those moments where it's like, ah, oh, boom, your brain starts percolating again. It, those are those are fun times to go through.
1: Have you ever had the moment where you see comedians that you loved and then they they kind of get they get older and then they do stand-up again and you're like, yeah, uh, I don't know. You know, and not really the same. You know, I have this conversation with people about with other comics about like is it that they get rich and comfortable and they're maybe isolated so they're not noticing the same things that everyone notices or is it you know is comedy like a hungry man's game where they kind of have to always get a little hunger and if they if they're not hungry in some way then they just don't
3: really care anymore well i you know i think there's the of the people aspect to comedy you know where it's like uh, you you need to be an example of the people that you're talking to and if if you're living a life that's different from them it's hard to to make them laugh you know um, you know you, you need to be able to go to the grocery store and you need to be able to take a cab and when you're not doing those things you know you're left with uh, a much smaller window of Art things Art collecting to talk is about. weird <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why this stuff isn't killing <laughs> That's exactly right What is the deal with chauffeurs? like <laughs> They're not supposed to talk to you when you get into the car, get but in they bag at the a car. I'm, I'm I'm trying to go to a, a highfalutin restaurant. <laughs> I'm clearly from the old west because I said highfalutin. Highfalutin, <laughs> and they turn around and they want to bend my ear. I'm like, uh, come on, folks, you with me on this? I think I think upscale Brian Regan would be a fun chunk.
1: I'm just like, you know, I would like to pretend. You're like you just pretend that you know you're a billionaire and you've lived like a billionaire, but
3: you still have the same
1: you still have the same cadence. But it's just all of all
3: that stuff. Well, I, I I have this whole thing about uh, what's the deal with first class people, and it comes from the perspective of you know people in coach. And I got off stage one time, and my tour manager was joking with me, going, "People aren't buying it anymore, Brian. They know you're not in coach." i <laughs> know yeah, i think louis you know I what think, i mean so it's i like, think louis uh, said on kona
1: or something one time he was like he started out kind of apologetically like yeah you know sometimes i fly you know what fuck it i i fly first class all right i make a lot of money i don't have to fly coach why would i so i think you know but again that's just as long as you're honest with the audience i think they're okay
3: with, well, you, I think yeah, they're okay with it you want it to ring true and you can't be doing things that people are like eh, i don't know about that you know
1: uh I, it just i always wondered if you know there are purists out there who are like, "No, I can't live too w- if I live too well, it kind of takes me out of the game and I got to make sure that I'm still forcing myself." But I even think that's not totally authentic cuz that's not really what you're experiencing. You know, right. you're kind
3: of forcing that experience to happen. I'd I'd rather give up comedy and fly first, cal- <laughs> first
1: class. <laughs> it's really worth it really can be worth it. <laughs> Uh so the, when is the what when the new tour uh, the new special is uh... uh
3: Saturday September 26th um it's live on Comedy Central uh 9 p.m. Excellent. And what's the title? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's Brian Regan uh live from Radio City Music Hall. Okay. There's no like really Clever title. Just anything.
1: so people know, because they because sometimes Comedy Central will, they'll air like a bunch of like oh. they could air a bunch of Brian Regan stuff just to make sure that people know it's yeah.
3: The... Um, I mean, they are showing some of my past specials in the week or two leading up to it, which I guess we're in that window now. But uh, it's just Brian Regan live from Radio City Musical.
1: Yeah, and if it's a special where uh, you know you're wearing a shirt that does not look of this era, it's probably an older special. <laughs> <laughs> Why is right. he wearing shoulder pads in the year <laughs> 2015. Hey, that's
3: something that I also picked up from george carlin he he was smart enough to not in his earlier years you know he's wearing bell bottoms in a special or whatever and then he started wearing all black and i always wondered like if he did it so that the comedy could be timeless and so i did a special a long time ago and i i told my manager i do not want to wear anything that is currently hip i want to wear just classic jeans and shoes you know I, i i want it to be where you could watch it 10 years from now and not Immediately get sucked into the the haircut or the or the clothes. You yeah. know, I want it to be about the comedy.
1: Cut to you dressed like a nineteen thirties gangster. <laughs> like, I just <laughs> I didn't say I it thought it, it was <laughs> classic. <laughs> I mean, it was timeless. I thought it was timeless.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's not timeless in Lava. Yeah. Are you on social media at, at all? Uh, sure. I have a Twitter account, and I've made over like twelve tweets in my career. My mm-hmm. Twitter, I, I, I have that stuff. I, I participate. You know reluctantly <laughs>
1: yeah do you think it's bad for do you think it's bad for comedy for people no. to see too much okay
3: no 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 i i mean i just uh it's just not my uh vehicle i guess you know i mean uh i mean i know that's how you get things out there and i'll shoot a tweet every now and then or you know update the facebook page or whatever but i just like to be on stage that's what i want to do
1: and ultimately if you just were able to do that the rest of your life. Would that
3: that's what would make you happy? It would be it would be wonderful. That doesn't mean I wouldn't love for someone to give me an opportunity to do a TV show where it could be about my comedy. You know, as long as they kind of you know don't get in the way. That's
1: very hard for television. Television is notorious for getting in the way. Have you you must have done pilots before and, and since?
3: Uh, no, I've gotten close. You know, to certain things, sometimes a hair short of doing a pilot. You know, what's interesting to me is like you pitch an idea to a network right and then they say uh well we don't have any shows like that <laughs> I, I thought that was a good thing right i thought you were gonna go oh fantastic and you know throw confetti around but i didn't realize well that's a bad thing for them yeah we want shows that are like the shows we already have well you already have you already have shows like the shows you already have I want to do something completely different.
1: Uh, yeah, but I just didn't feel like throwing confetti, so uh, <laughs> I'm sorry we can't make the show. Right, and we're supposed to throw the confetti if we're going to make the show, so it's not. Uh, anyway, but thank you for coming. in. <laughs> it's like, why the fuck? <laughs> well, well re- reasons like the reasons that things don't get picked up, or I mean, I, I've I've talked to network people who are like, I was so excited to get on the other side of it to really try to understand this mysterious process of how shows get made. It must be like an Illuminati-type experience. It must be like picking a pope, you know? And then they get there, and they're like, it is mundane, and, and the dumbest reasons things happen for the dumbest reasons, and you don't know, and it, whatever mood people are in that day. And it's, it was so disheartening that it kind of, like, ruins television for them.
3: I always yeah, I, I, I equate it to if you put a blank white canvas up, right? And then you could bring Van Gogh back from the dead. And you put him in front of the white blank canvas. And then right behind, right on the other side, behind Van Gogh, put a set of bleachers with network executives. <laughs> what would end up on that canvas? And I don't think it would be Van Gogh's vision. You know, he would put one thing and they go, wow, why so blurry? <laughs> <laughs> Does it have to be blue? Yeah, uh, uh, there's plenty of blue already. Put some greens or reds. And there could it be a daytime thing? Could you make a daytime yeah, thing? Yeah, daytime. People like daytime. Yeah. That ear
1: thing is weird. Do you think that's going to test well? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ.
3: <laughs> so I would love to see a network slash Van Gogh production.
1: Also, the network would be completely nonplussed that you brought someone back from the dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. <laughs> But uh, how are we going to capitalize on it? <laughs> does it have to be a yeah. canvas? Y- yes. Uh, Brian Regan, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank talking you to so you. much. Such an honor. And Joe Bolster, so nice to see you uh, and meet you in person too. It's uh, her a. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I ever heard him talk, it flipped me out. Because yeah. I still, as much as I know how entertainment works, I'm, I still feel stupid at certain times when things that I feel like I should have known, I'm like, oh fuck, you do talk, you know? Like I I, just, I was on a
3: flight with him. Uh, about a week ago, I swear, uh, Teller like sat like two seats in front of me. And when a flight attendant came and said, what do you want? And he said out loud his drink. I was like, whoa! <laughs> 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 All it took, I'll have a water. Whoa,
1: man! You don't hear that a lot. I almost feel like that is, that is a long con where it's like you never talk. So then whenever you do open your mouth, it, whatever it is, people think it's the greatest thing they've ever heard. Like, that is a genius, that's yeah, a genius it was plan. Yeah, pretty darn cool. Uh, good to see you, Brian Regan. Thank
3: you very, very much, man. I appreciate the kind words. Oh, thank please. you very much for having me in here, and uh, it, it means the world to me. I'm so super
1: you. geeking out about the, I mean, honestly, I, I, I don't know if I did a good job of, like, mashing it down, but it is a tremendous, it is a tremendous deal that you're here that's very on kind. the podcast. So,
3: are you playing in LA anytime soon? I had shows in California Wednesday through Sunday. The last two days, I've just been doing media, so not soon. All right. Well, I'll watch the special. All right. Or, um, you know, we could set up a stage right here, and uh, you could just uh, Can I do the fucking uh, the, <laughs> the fucking Pop Tart joke. Please. All
1: right. <laughs> Please just do that on a loop. <laughs>
3: All right. You're gonna bleep it though. Enjoy. Right, it. We already we have uh, already agreed. I don't know. We've already bleeped, if, uh, Agreed that no. everything gets bleeped. I don't know if we actually agreed agreed
1: to that, but oh. let's just uh, let me ask you a question. Do you ever <laughs> listen to any of the stuff that you do?
3: Like this kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah, will you listen to this? Yes. Fuck. Yes. Because I try to. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to bleep that, right? Uh, what? You, what you just said. No, you I got to bleep say it. that no, out. You said it. You said Because I'm on you No, Open no. the floodgates. No. Wait a second. You open
1: the fuckgates. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right,
3: perfect.
0: Now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito Garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This mother f- lied. Like a liar. Like a liar.
2: And if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal,
0: or you love to hop in the Wayback Machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes, you should tune in to our podcast, Morbid. Follow Morbid on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to episodes early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus and the Wondery app
2: or on Apple Podcasts.